This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. American mystery writer Rex Stout created fictional detective Nero Wolfe back in 1934. Now, Wolfe is a big guy, 5'11 tall, and is frequently said to weigh a seventh of a ton. That's about 286 pounds. Due to his size, Nero Wolfe tried to solve crime from home without visiting crime scenes. He relied on his assistant, Archie Goodwin, who did the legwork, interviewing witnesses and gathering clues for interpretation by Nero at home. Now, Nero Wolf had his definite eccentricities. Known for his particular tastes and love of gourmet food, Nero Wolf is fed by Fritz Brenner, an exceptionally talented Swiss cook. Nero Wolf, an avid reader, doesn't have a television in his home. He doesn't like to be called by his first name or to be touched by either men nor women. He keeps a rigid schedule of eating and tending to his orchids and seems to go to a trance while solving crimes in his mind. Also, keeping all of that in mind, let's drop in and hear what tonight's mystery will bring. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell brings you mystery, adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. Who? Mr. Hal Horton, United Industries? Oh, I see. Well, I must warn you, Mr. Horton, Mr. Wolf doesn't take kindly to big industrialists. Says their great wealth upsets his digestion. Why do you want to see him? The connection's bad. I don't hear you. Who? Who? Mr. Horton, who? Hmm. We're cut off. What is it, Mr. Goodwin? Mr. Hal Horton called. I understand that. I won't see him. Tell him what money I have to invest I put into orchid plants. Mr. Horton wasn't promoting anything. Then what did he call you for? The great Horton needs a detective. Maybe just my occupational reflex, but I thought he said somebody had been murdered. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's that genius who is the bulkiest, balkiest, most ponderous, and most brilliant detective in the world. Yes, none other than that chairborne mass of unpredictable intellect, Nero Wolfe, created by Rex Stout, and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. It turned out that what Horton had said had been murder, which became celebrated in the case of the malevolent medic. But its solution wasn't a simple matter of following up his accusation. It had false clues mixed all through it like raisins in a pudding. The man we came to know as the malevolent medic was young Dr. Benjamin Sloan. The case began on the sunny afternoon when Grace Banks, his nurse, came into his private office. <sighs> Waiting room's finally empty, I take it. Well, there's one more patient, darling. I'm sorry, Doctor. 
Mrs. Horton's here for another of the thymine chloride shots you ordered for. I said you could give her those grapes. She doesn't have to wait to see me. Well, she's hung up her mink coat, parked her orchid and her alligator bag, and filled up all the ashtrays with lipstick cigarette stubs. Mrs. Horton prefers to wait for you. She seems very upset. I hoped she'd get hold of herself. Mrs. Hal Horton, with all that money. Whatever gives her such jitters? <laughs> Darling, if I ever get in that condition after we're married, please shoot me. I've advised her to go to a specialist. Hers isn't a true medical case. Well, I'll do what I can. Get a needle ready, will you, Grace, and show Mrs. Horton in. Yes, darling. I mean, doctor. <laughs> Mrs. Horton, will you step in now? Been in that waiting room for hours. Ben, I wrote you every day this week. Why didn't you answer me? You say your health hasn't improved, Lizzie. I'm worse, much worse. Still chain-smoking, drinking, and the sleeping pills? I have to take something. I can't walk the floor all night, can I? Thinking, thinking. Why are you so unhappy, Leslie? You have what you always said you wanted, money, clothes, excitement. You have the right to say that. But don't, please don't. I'm only pointing out facts you should face. I told you from the beginning you need a nerve specialist. I need you. Nobody else can help me at all. Leslie. You went over this the last time you were here, and in all those letters you've been sending. Now, let's cross it off for good, shall we? Don't talk like that. You don't mean I'm it. no longer a lovesick dope, and you're the wife of one of the biggest industrialists in the country. Yes, Hal Horton, I despise him. He thinks his money makes him God. He thinks he can buy anything that he bought me. He made me think I was getting the world with a fence around it. Everything I want is on the other side of that fence. You don't know what you do want. I want us the way we used to be, happy in love together. Leslie, please be quiet. Why? Miss Banks is in the laboratory. She can hear you. What of it? I'm not ashamed. I'll tell her. I'll tell everybody. Imagine Hal's face when he finds out I'm leaving him. But I'm coming back to you. He already knows about you. I told him you were in love with me, that you're jealous. He doesn't like it. Leslie, you're raving. Now, stop it. You always said I was the most attractive woman in the world. You made your choice. Now, get this into your head. I'm really in love now. In a few weeks, I'm going to be married. Now, I'll get your medicine. So it's really true. You are going to be married. Yes. I'd heard it, but I didn't believe it. Going to marry a nurse. All my friends have known and been laughing at me. Please, now that's enough. I made a plan, a wonderful, beautiful plan about us. Then you love me. Then say you love me. Mrs. Horton, that is all over. You don't love me. No longer. You're here as my patient, and that's all. After this treatment, I must ask you to get another doctor. A wonderful, beautiful plan for us. And now she threatens to step in and spoil it. Well, maybe I'll spoil a few plans. How would you like that? Threats will accomplish nothing. I can ruin things for you, Ben. All those fancy ideas of yours about having a fine practice, being a great doctor. Do you want to give those up? I can arrange it so that maybe there won't be any wonderful future for you. Are you prepared to face that possibility? Because I'm prepared to make it a reality. And I mean it. You'll regret this day as long as you live. I'll get your medicine, Mrs. Horton. Hand me my bag. Thank you. Oh, I hate you, Ben. I hate you both. <laughs> 
Sorry to have kept you waiting, Mrs. Horton. Miss Banks had to do a repair job before she could use the sterilizer. Alcohol, Miss Banks? Yes, Dr. Sloan. Now, Mrs. Horton, may I help? Thanks. So nice of you. There. Right side for the hypo this time, isn't it? Just touch with this cotton. Ready now, Doctor. Oh, I... What's the matter, Mrs. Horton? I'm just cold. Alcohol. After this, I advise you to go home and rest. These massive doses are a little painful, but they give results. There. That's all. Just relax here and you can leave in ten minutes. Come, Miss Banks. I want to talk to you. You might as well stop acting. I can't get up. My feet. Ben, look at her. Something's happened. Hysteria. No, her face. Ben, she's falling. Mrs. Horton, hold on to me. I've got you. Hold her up. Leslie, what is it? Pain. Terrible pain. Where? What from? Sick everywhere. Pain everything. Pain. Pain in my head. Pain in my feet. My feet. My feet. Doctor, she... she's dead. Yes, Grace. Get a card from the files. I, I want to study it. From the first day Mrs. Horton came here. What was it, Ben? What happened to her? Symptoms are of a heart condition from which it seems the patient has just expired. Then you must call her husband. Grace, did you hear me? Yes, Dr. Sloan. Well, I discourage your visit here, Mr. Horton. I do have a sort of curiosity about the operation of so-called big business. Maybe offer you a glass of beer and hear an explanation of the rise and fall of this morning's stock market. You don't think I've come here socially? I wish to engage your services for... Not available. You're a detective, aren't you? Specializing in cases that interest me. Sherry, Mr. Horton? I don't need it, thank you. But Mr. Wolf says he specializes in cases that... I've just got here. I haven't told my story. I don't believe you even know who I am. Oh, yes, we do. We do indeed. A millionaire. Did I offend you by speaking of a fee? No, on the contrary. It is that portion of your conversation which interested me most. Frankly, I plan to spend the evening examining the first edition of Henry James I'd like to purchase. And the word fee suggested a possible way. Now, what have you done, sir? What have I done? <laughs> One doesn't have to be a detective to recognize you're in trouble, Mr. Horton. Look, Mr. Wolf, I have done nothing. But I've got a question I've got to have answered. I need facts. They tell me you're the man who can give them to me. If Nero Wolf can't get them for you, they're not facts. They're fancies, Mr. Horton. My story's involved. But the gist of it is uh, your beautiful wife, a former model, died last week. Death certificate indicated a heart attack. You suggest she was murdered. How did you know? Never mind how I came to my conclusions. How did you come to yours? Leslie had been going to a Dr. Benjamin Sloan. She said he was a specialist. Some friend had recommended. She'd been upset. He was giving her vitamin B shot, she told me. You doubt that was true. Dr. Sloan informed me uh, after she died in his office uh, there'd been a heart condition from the beginning. Well, I don't believe it. Leslie was a very emotional girl. She'd have been quite frightened of a heart ailment. She'd have told me about it. Maybe she didn't comprehend its seriousness. Dr. Sloan did. Why didn't he get in touch with me at once about it? Then, when I went to clear up Leslie's room, I discovered something. Leslie didn't go to Sloan through a friend. 
She'd known him when she was a model and he was a hospital intern. She'd kept letters he'd written to her then. Love letters. Indeed. Well, doesn't that give you an idea, Mr. Wolf? Sloane lost Leslie to me. No man who'd been in love with Leslie would ever get over it. Would a man be jealous enough, kill a woman he loved rather than have her belong to another man? An interesting theory, Mr. Horton, one frequently advanced in fiction. Shall we investigate and see how it works out in fact? Ah, you'll take the case, then. The intricacies of the feminine nature are challenging if you do not have to come in contact with the creatures. The uh, practical research in such matters I leave to Mr. Goodwin here. It is the field in which he specializes. But it's you I want. Our method of operation is not under your control, Mr. Horton. You'll be so kind, Archie. Get a first-hand report of Dr. Benjamin Sloan and the women in his life. Just came to ask a few routine questions, Dr. Sloan. I don't understand your interest in the Horton case, Mr. Goodwin, is it? That's right. The death certificate was signed and a report made to the medical inspector. Detectives are a snoopy lot. Detectives? Are you from the police department? No, I'm employed to note some details before we close up the Leslie Horton estate. Sudden deaths have to be double-checked. I'm afraid I can't add a thing to what I've already reported. Well, thanks for seeing me anyhow. Been a pleasant visit. Ever have a patient die in your office before, Dr. Sloan? No, but I've seen similar cases in the hospital, of course. Was Mrs. Horton warned about her heart condition, Dr. Sloan? I discussed her case with her fully and frankly. And her husband, wasn't Mr. Horton alarmed? He didn't know. Mrs. Horton's ailment was... Well, not to bore a layman with medical details, was not a fatal one necessarily. She might have gone on for years. Just played in bad luck. The worst. Mm -hmm. When did you first meet her? Several weeks ago. And you saw her how many times? It's all on the record. She was nervous. I prescribed thiamine chloride. Her medical report card shows that. You read it for yourself. Well, I guess that's all, Dr. Sloan. Won't bother you further. Miss Banks will show you out. Yes, Dr. Sloan? Sort of a modern Aladdin arrangement, isn't it? Wish I could press a buzzer and have a beautiful girl like you appear. Mr. Goodwin is leaving. This way, Mr. Goodwin. You can use the side door. The waiting room's full of patients. So long, Doctor. This way, through the lab. There's a door from it into the corridor. Cozy place, all those bottles. I suppose there's enough stuff in here to kill an army. To cure one. Miss Banks, may I say that you're the kind of a nurse that patients dream about? Make it a pleasure to go to a hospital. Blonde hair, blue eyes, winkers an inch long. Are they real? If you'll excuse me. Who I have to come down with to persuade you to take care of me? Huh? I don't take cases. I'm a technician. Good day, Mr. So you work just for Dr. Sloan. It's too bad the way he's involved in this Horton case looks serious. Mrs. Horton simply died of a heart attack in Dr. Sloan's office. If you wanted to help your boss, Miss Banks, you'd stop rushing around and answer a few questions. I'm sure Dr. Sloan gave you the necessary information. Guess he doesn't realize the trouble he's in. If you can supply any details that'll change the picture, you'll be doing him a great favor. He's a nice guy. I want to help. What is there to say? The report... Let's get it in your own words. Just what really happened here that day? Well, Dr. Sloan gave Mrs. Horton a vitamin B shot. That was routine. Mm -hmm. But she didn't get up afterward. She said she was sick. Then she fell and I caught her. And Dr. Sloan administered emergency treatment. What did that consist of, Miss Pine? All that is in the office record. What would bring on such an attack? It could have been several things. Could it have been something she ate? Acute indigestion affects the heart. Maybe Mrs. Horton would be here now if the doctor thought to use a stomach pump. He did use one. He did everything there was time to do. She certainly went in a hurry. Suffer a lot? She 
Said she was in pain. Where? Her stomach? No, not her stomach. Where then? She seemed to be in pain all over. Reflex, maybe? When it was over, what did you do, Miss Banks? Called Mr. Horton. Must have been a blow to the great man. I understand she was younger than he is and quite a sultry gal. I've talked to you professionally because you said it was necessary to help Dr. Sloan. Is that all, Mr. Goodwin? I guess it is for now. Unless you'll have dinner with me. Thank you, no. I'm handsome, hardworking, and harmless. I'll bring you references from my employer. What do you say? The express elevator's the one on the right. Must be there's another man. Wouldn't be the doctor, would it? Well, you'll fit better in a Pullman kitchen than here among the test tubes at that. My reluctant congratulations. Innocent as lambs, both Sloan and the nurse. Evidence to prove it? My unfailing sensibilities, not the murderer type. Nice couple, doctor and the nurse, I suspect they're engaged. She's so much in love with him, I could have been you and she wouldn't have known the difference. Very flattering. Records? The usual medical record, Mrs. Horton's first visits, symptoms, subsequent visits. Here are the notes on it. Mm. Vitamin B shots. No chance they brought this on, huh? Dr. Sloan says absolutely not. I checked that with other doctors. But Mrs. Horton did go into this right after the hypo. That's the story, Jives and Sloan? Mm-hmm. A little more detail. She says he did everything. He even used a stomach pump. The woman was in pain? What's this? Head to feet? My way of saying pain all over. What other papers did you examine? Only the medical record. Get back to Sloan's office late tonight and examine all the papers in his desk. Can't you trust me? I tell you, there's no reason even to suspect these two. When you have one of your adolescence infatuations on, blood dripping from a dagger in a girl's hand would look to you like crushed rose petals. With this grace bangs out of the way, maybe you can recognize evidence. Uh, sounds like a long, bleak evening. Hand me that medical book, and then be on your way. I want to think. Mr. Goodwin. Oh, good evening, Dr. Sloan. This is a surprise to us both. I didn't anticipate that you'd be keeping office hours after midnight. What are you doing in my office at two o'clock in the morning, Mr. Goodwin? Reading your mail and having a ghoulish time surrounded by all these shiny instruments of yours. You've been rifling my desk. I wouldn't do that if I were you. I've put things back very neatly, even the letters from this little secret compartment, which isn't secret at all to anybody who knows about desks. I've kept only Give one. Give me that easy. It's the my darling mine first shan't ever give you up one way or another one. You remember? I'll bet that nice little nurse you're engaged to never wrote that, did she? What do you intend to do with it? Market exhibit A in the Horton murder case. Maybe you'd like to come with me and explain it to Nero Wolf. Very moving, very flattering, very interesting if you like women. Also, very incriminating, Dr. Sloan. What does it prove? A silly woman with a nervous breakdown imagined she was infatuated with me. A woman who is now dead, you must remember, under, shall we say, unusual circumstances. You signed a death certificate which stated Mrs. Horton died of a heart attack. As you signed it, Dr. Sloan, did you remember she had threatened you? And even sigh of relief that fate had done you such a good turn? I didn't bear Leslie any ill will. I was sorry for her. You felt adequate to the situation. You called no other doctor, though there are several in your building. My first thought, of course, was that it was some extraordinary allergic reaction to the vitamin dose. It was not until an hour or two after she was dead you decided she expired from a heart attack. Yes. 
How did you explain the pain? I, I reported no pain. Miss Banks said Mrs. Horton had pain from her head to her feet. Grace said that? Well, not in those words, but that was the general idea. Dr. I... Sloan, why did you use a stomach pump on a heart case? Why, I, I, I told you I tried everything, sometimes an acute digestive disturbance. But... I suggest you did it because to you, as to any qualified physician, the pain in the feet suggested poisoning, a particular kind of poison, an inorganic poison. There wasn't any in her stomach. You maintain that? Archie, get the medical examiner on the phone. Tell him the body of Miss Hal Horton must be examined for any evidence of poisoning. I know you think Mrs. Horton was murdered, but it's impossible. There'd been no one near her. Miss Banks. Miss Banks couldn't have done it. She was working with me constantly. That's what I thought you'd say, Dr. Sloan. I had to see you. This is the most dreadful thing I've ever heard of. Trying to accuse Dr. Sloan of murdering a patient. It appears he had a reason to want Mrs. Horton dead, Miss Banks. She was that thing the poets write about, a woman scorned. She had sent him this hysterical letter, threatening scandal, and if he rejected her, he couldn't control her. She kept coming back to his office, making scenes. He gave her nothing but thymine chloride. I know, I fixed the shop myself. Don't start covering for her. I'm not. I tell you, I filled the needle. And I didn't put anything but thymine chloride in it. You haven't any reason to think anybody did, except for that letter you stole. If it wasn't for that letter... Give it to me. Give it to me. Come on, Archie, quick. Drop it, baby. Come away from that fireplace. <laughs> Why, you little tiger, kitten. I didn't think you had it in you. Come on, let go of it. Let go. Give it to Papa. Now, look what you did. You almost got Nero Wolf out of his chair. Destroying evidence is a serious offense, young woman. She kept coming to the office, writing a best drink, and I heard her from the laboratory. You read her letters too, didn't you? You knew if something didn't stop her, Dr. Benjamin Sloan was a ruined man. But he didn't kill her. I know he did. I don't believe he did. You... You don't? Well, then who? You've just provided an excellent motive for having done it yourself, Miss Banks. White wine. Cold, luscious, exotic. Excellent, Fritz. Excellent. Best thing that's happened today. I don't like this Sloan case. If you ask me, I think that Horton Dane got what was coming to it. Those are not the words of abstract justice, nor the phrases of a gentleman of culture. A good detective never plays favorites. Good night's rest, and you will find your attitude more normal by morning. You expect to have this case solved by morning? Solved now. Thanks to the expedition I sent you on this afternoon. The arrest can wait. No one will escape. I feel like a murderer myself. If I hadn't wormed it out of grace about the Horton woman complaining of pain, and if you hadn't jumped at the word feet... That, Archie, my dear fellow, is the purpose for which you exist. To discover pertinent facts. Have we quite finished? Copy in the study, then. Here's the door. I'll go. Mr. Wolfin? He isn't seeing anyone this evening, Mr. Horton. Well, he's seeing me. Archie, if that's Mr. Horton, I'll see him. You'd better. Sorry you found Mr. Goodman so impossible, Mr. Horton. He, uh, he came to pay you a call this afternoon. I sent him, but he didn't find you in, did you, Archie? No, but I made myself at home. I knew anything it would help to solve this case you'd want us to have. What do you mean? You were in my house? What did you take? Nothing of monetary value, I assure you, that will not be returned in due course. 
Before I announce the solution of a case, I like to have all my little props in place. I appreciate a well-rounded performance. Mr. Wolf, I've had enough of this foolishness, this, this delay. I hired you to convict Sloan, not to play parlor games. You must be patient, Mr. Horton. Don't force me. I want action. Well, I had planned to wait until the morning, but if you insist, these papers here may interest you, Mr. Horton. Mr. Goodwin here collects them, your wife's letters. Leslie's? You recognize the script? These are addressed to Dr. Sloan. Do they, uh, they prove anything against him? The ladies' correspondence should be kept private. This other letter, however, was sent to you. To, to me? Leslie's? What? Give it to me. Easy, Horton, easy. Don't grab. No, but that letter's mine. You stole it from my desk. There is a point in a case, Mr. Horton, where letters cease to be personal property and become evidence. What evidence can that letter provide? It seems you had reason for wanting to kill your wife, Mr. Horton. A man can get annoyed by a note saying his wife never loved him, that all his money isn't enough, and that she's going to another man. You accusing me of murder? It could have been the perfect crime. Poison in one of those pills she was forever taking, or on the tip of the cigarette she chain-smoked, in a doctor's office to die in. If you hadn't been fool enough to try to pin it on Sloan, you might have gotten away with it. If I had known while she was alive what Leslie was, I might have done anything. But that letter you stole from me was one she left under my pillow. I didn't find it until after she was dead. I didn't kill her. Sloan did. You hired me to prove that, Mr. Horton. Suppose you let me go about my business. Nero Wolf's office. Yeah? Well, you did? Good boy. We'll expect you. I'll tell Mr. Wolf at once. Medical examiner's officer, just as you thought, they found poison in the body. Listen to me. Inspector Kramer's picking up Dr. Sloan and Grace. They'll be here any minute. Kramer's set to make an arrest. I told you. The police know it's Sloan. Put the letters and Mrs. Horton's bag on my desk, Archie. Leslie's alligator bag? You stole that from my house this afternoon, too. Those things are mine. Inspector Kramer will want to take them with him. But you think I want it made public what Leslie did to me? Kramer can't have them. Maybe the inspector will want to take you, too, Mr. Horton. Let them in, Archie. Come in, Inspector Kramer. Oh. Dr. Sloan, Miss Banks. Wolf asked me to bring them here first before I locked anybody up. Mrs. Horton was murdered, all right. I'm sending a man for Horton, too. You won't have to. Mr. Horton's waiting here to join the party. Come in to Mr. Wolf's office. Good evening, Inspector. Good evening, Wolf. Uh, will you all please range yourselves around the room as I indicate? Miss Banks here. Dr. Sloan, Mr. Horton, Archie, you stand between the two men, if you please. Mr. Wolf, this is a dreadful mistake. I swear the doctor didn't... Stop thinking about the doctor. What about you? If you're accusing Miss Banks, I might as well tell Hold you now. Hold it, Dr. Sloan. From here on, anything you say will be held against you. That's what I want. Let Grace go home and well, I'll... For think... heaven's sake, why don't you arrest the man? Isn't it obvious he's guilty? You and your trumped-up charges against me. I'll do the talking now, Mr. Horton. Mrs. Horton died from a certain inorganic poisoning. Poison administered in your office, Dr. Sloan, with a hypo syringe. Let's get it over with. I gave her the hypo. But I fill the needle. There you are. They're both guilty. Which would solve the case if they weren't lying. Miss Banks believes Dr. Sloan killed Leslie for her sake. Dr. Sloan thinks Miss Banks put poison in the hypo to save him from professional ruin. They're trying to protect each other. The fact is the hypo they gave was perfectly harmless. It did not kill Mrs. Horton. Then what did? Mrs. Horton came to your office in desperation, Dr. Sloan. But she came prepared for the worst. You see this handbag? Can any of you identify it? Yes. It, it's hers. Is it Mr. Horton? It's Leslie's. The bag she carried to the office the day she died. Open it, Archie. 
You will see it contains her change purse, billfold, cigarette case, matches, a handkerchief, nothing more. That is, not unless you look closely. Then you will observe this lining has a double fold, a secret compartment. Exactly. We open it this way, and there we find it. A hypodermic needle with which the unhappy woman committed suicide. Miss Banks, Dr. Sloan, you can stop protecting one another. Mr. Horton, the world need never know you were a betrayed husband. Mrs. Horton killed herself while in a confused state following a mental breakdown. The case of the malevolent medic is closed. How did you ever get the hunch about the handbag, Mr. Wolf? I know nothing about women. But on my occasional trips abroad, I have been forced to observe their handbags. Monstrosities. They hold anything and everything. <laughs> now that our guests have gone, Fritz is bringing coffee to the study. Would you like some beer? I believe I would. Somehow I feel I've earned it. Ah, here you are. Poor fellow, I'm very sorry for you. How so? This is one case in which there is no falsely accused, unattached young lady for you to squire about. <laughs> well, here's to your better luck next time. You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story by Ruth Adams Knight was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program, produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Harry Bartell as Archie Goodwin, and Gene Bates, Vic Perrin, Bruce Payne, Bill Johnstone, and Mary Lansing. Next week at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you the case of the hasty will. Don Stanley speaking. <laughs> Three chimes mean good times on NBC. There's music and mystery for you every Saturday evening on NBC. For music, tomorrow your hit parade brings you the top tunes in the land with Snooky Lanson, Eileen Wilson, and Raymond Scott's orchestra. And for mystery, Herbert Marshall stars as the man called X, a man in search of adventure who travels wherever there is intrigue, danger, and romance. More good mystery at Sam Spade next on NBC. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time for Our Miss Brooks. Now, usually the show began with a weird breakfast being prepared for Connie by her landlady, Mrs. Davis. Jane Morgan played that role to a T. Her career encompassed concert halls, vaudeville, the legitimate stage, radio, television, and film. She made regular appearances on the Jack Benny and Bob Hope radio shows, but it was as Mrs. Davis that Jane Morgan really found fame. And she retired after the nine-year run of our Miss Brooks. So let's go back and revisit the cast and the episode, The Black Orchid. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay 
and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, this is National Pickle Week. And among others who celebrated the occasion was Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School. I celebrated National Pickle Week, all right, by getting myself into the prettiest pickle you've ever seen. It all started innocently enough when my landlady and I sat down to breakfast last Thursday morning. There's your cereal, Connie. Now tell me, dear, have you made any plans for your vacation next month? Nothing definite, Mrs. Davis. Perhaps it's just as well not to plan too far in advance. Who knows what summer may bring? You might even elope. Have you ever thought of that, Connie? Many times, Mrs. Davis. I'd do it in a minute, too. If it weren't for a stubborn little streak in me, which keeps insisting that it's no fun to elope by yourself. (laughs) Oh, I, I didn't mean by yourself, Connie. What's wrong with Mr. Boynton? For submitting the outstanding question of the week, we are sending Mrs. Margaret Davis a lifetime supply of Dutch boy paint. (laughs) I wish I knew what was wrong with Mr. Boynton. All he talks about lately is his impending vacation in South America. South America? What a wonderful idea. And it simplifies everything. It does? Of course. If Mr. Boynton is going to South America, that's where you have to go. The thought has occurred to me, Mrs. Davis, but there's one thing that stands in the way. Transportation. Transportation? Yes, one of my water wings has a blowout. (laughs) Don't be discouraged by your present financial state, Connie. I'll go make some tea and read your tea leaves in a little while. Maybe there'll be some good news in your cup. Why, at this very moment, Lady Luck may be camping on your doorstep. Well, don't sit there, lady. Come on in. (laughs) Greetings, most gracious and scintillating educator. (laughs) Thank you, most generous and observant pupil. Sit down, Walter, and have some toast and jelly. Ah, thanks. What kind of a plant is that you're holding? It's a rare black orchid, Miss Brooks. Here. An orchid? Must have cost you quite a bit of money, Walter. Pish, tush. The blossom cost me nothing. Besides, this is no time to concern ourselves with petty monetary considerations. I'm going to be rich, Miss Brooks. Wealthy beyond all dreams of avarice. The fabulous treasures of the universe are within my grasp. Say, buddy, could you spare a round-trip ticket to South America? (laughs) No, I'm serious, Miss Brooks. I've discovered uranium. Uranium? Where? On my shoe. (laughs) Who's your boot black? (laughs) It's no joke, Miss Brooks. I made the discovery in the chem lab. We got a brand new Geiger counter and it's... By the way, have you ever used a Geiger counter? I haven't had to, Walter. Very few of my pupils are named Geiger. (laughs) No. I'm afraid you don't understand. A Geiger counter is an instrument that measures the number and intensity of emanations from radioactive substances. Sounds terribly talented. But how did you get mixed up with it? Well, I climbed on a desk to fix a light bulb, and my shoe got near the Geiger counter. You should have heard it. It almost blew its top. That means uranium's on my shoe. Now, the way I figure it, all I've got to do is retrace my steps of the past few days. Wouldn't it be easier to just start mining your shoe? (laughs) Please, Miss Brooks. No, you've got to help me. You see, the counter is school property and can't be removed from the building without Mr. Conklin's permission. 
If the teacher were to ask you... Oh, not me, Walter. I'd like to assist you in this project, but now is the wrong time. Tuesday, I knocked a bowl of soup into his lap in the cafeteria, and last week, I dropped a typewriter on his foot. Whoa. Hey, it's almost 8.15. I better park this orchid in the icebox and get ready to leave. Have a glass of milk, Walter. I'll just be a minute. Okay, Miss Brooks. Oh, it's you, Connie. The tea is almost ready. I'm afraid I won't have time for the reading, Mrs. Davis. I just want to put this in the icebox. My, what a lovely stalk of asparagus. <laughs> Don't let Walter Denton hear you say that. This happens to be a black orchid. Oh, but you shouldn't put that in the icebox, Connie. It won't do anybody any good there. Why don't you take it down to school with you and give it to Mr. Conklin? Mr. Conklin? Yes. You told me yourself you've been naughty lately. Maybe this little gift would make up for your recent habit of <laughs> dropping things on him. Say, it might at that. Although I wouldn't want Walter to find out that I gave away his present. Walter wouldn't mind. Besides, he won't know anything about it. I'll just put the flower into this box that the clean laundry came in, tie it with this red ribbon, and presto, you've got a peace offering for your principal. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. I'm sure nothing could make him happier unless I was tied up in the box. <laughs> Nash, Miss Brooks, I wish you'd reconsider my proposition about that Geiger counter. If you'll just get us permission to use it, I'll make you a 50-50 partner in whatever we find. It's a more than liberal offer, Walter, but I'm afraid I can't take advantage of it. Right now, I'm trying to figure a good method of stowing away to South America. Well, all right, Miss Brooks. But I hate the thought of passing up a possible bonus of $10,000 offered for discoveries of uranium. I know, Walter, and I can't say that it's altogether impossible, but as far as the immediate future is concerned, did you say $10,000? That's right. And if it's a big field, we might even get ten times that much. Open the throttle, Casey, and point me at Mr. Conklin's office. Well, I finished straightening up your office, Daddy. Thanks, Harriet. Run along, child. Isn't there anything else I can do? You can leave me alone. I'll get to your first class. Daddy, you're irritated this morning. Harriet, you're another Ellery Queen. <laughs> it so happens that some vandal broke into my garden, trampled my flower beds, and stole a rare black orchid. <laughs> I didn't know that. I just found out about it myself. I've been nursing that plant along for seven years. I was planning to give that orchid to your dear mother. It's her birthday today, you know. Yes, I know. Now I'll probably have to buy a present for the old... It's a hard gift. <laughs> if I ever get my hands on the scoundrel who... Enter. Good morning, Mr. Conklin. Oh, it's you. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Harriet. I was just leaving the office, Miss Brooks. Try and cheer Daddy up a bit, will you? He's rather low this morning. I'll see you at lunch, Daddy. Bye. Bye. Well, Mr. Conklin, isn't this a bright and cheerful morning? Be brief, Miss Brooks. <laughs> what brings you to my office? I just came in to leave this little gift Gift? Yes, sir, may I put it on your desk? If you think you can do so without knocking the typewriter off on my foot again <laughs> What else? Mr. Conklin, I should like your permission to borrow the Geiger counter from the chem lab Geiger counter? I believe that's what it's called It's used to indicate the presence of uranium 
Miss Brooks, are you planning to pelt me with an A-bomb? <laughs> Certainly not, Mr. Conklin. I couldn't even lift an A-bomb. <laughs> but I've heard that there's quite a reward for discovering new uranium deposits, and I thought... Maybe kindly I could... leave the premises. But, Mr. Conklin, I, I... I am in no mood to discuss this nonsensical project at this moment. I've had a most difficult morning. Nay, a shocking morning. What happened, Mr. Conklin? I don't know how versed you are in things botanical, Miss Brooks. Oh, I'm pretty versed. <laughs> <laughs> Several years ago, I purchased a rare plant. For the first few years, it failed to bloom. I tried everything. Finally, I ceased to rely on the hit-or-miss methods of plant propagation employed by a bunch of buzzing bees, and I pollinated that plant personally. realize what that entailed? Of course. You had to smear your feet with honey and jump from petal to petal. <laughs> no, Miss Brooks. But there are other back-breaking procedures which I pursued faithfully for seven long years, until finally my efforts bore fruit. You became the father of a lemon tree. <laughs> Wrong again. An orchid plant. A black orchid plant. Just yesterday, it started to bloom, and I said to myself, you're a lucky man, Osgood. Tomorrow, this lovely flower will blossom just in time for your wife Martha's birthday. And then, do you know what happened this morning? Yes. I mean, no. <laughs> Some vandal stole it. Well, I guess I'd better be running along. <laughs> Miss Brooks, where are you taking that box? I thought you said it was a gift. Oh, it is a gift, Mr. Conklin. But not for you. That is not actually. It's for Mrs. Conklin. Her birthday, you know. Just a little remembrance. Well, you can leave it here. I'll take it to her after school. I'd like to see what it is before oh, I... Oh, no. It. I, uh, I'd rather you didn't see it, Mr. Conklin. That is, well, it's uh, underwear. <laughs> That's all right. We share a dresser, you know. <laughs> Put it down and get to your classroom. But, Mr. Dismiss! <laughs> oh, uh, one thing before you go. If you should happen to hear any of the students, or faculty for that matter, discussing a black orchid, would you please make a confidential note of the party's name? Confidential? I won't even read it to myself. <laughs> My morning classes passed without any undue noise from the principal's office, so I assumed that Mr. Conklin hadn't found time to open the box containing his own black orchids, so thoughtfully provided for me by Walter Denton. When lunch period arrived, I hurried to the biology laboratory to let Mr. Boynton in on the ground floor of my predicament. Busy, Mr. Boynton? Well, not at all, Miss Brooks. Come on in. Uh, before we go to lunch, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. It's really silly, I guess, but I was rather embarrassed this morning. Embarrassed? It all started when Walter Denton came to pick me up and told me some ridiculous story about finding uranium on his shoes. Oh, that isn't completely ridiculous, Miss Brooks. As a matter of fact, it was more or less confirmed in the chem lab by the reaction of the Geiger counter. You mean that Walter did actually step into uranium? Well, not necessarily. It could be some similar radioactive substance. 
You realize, of course, that the Geiger counter is an extremely sensitive instrument. It'll even pick up emanations from your radium dial wristwatch. All the way from Fisher's pawn shop? (laughs) (laughs) It's a wonderful invention. And while Walter's shoe may not necessarily indicate the presence of any large field nearby, it's still a rather provocative incident. I'll say it is. Half of $10,000 is very provocative. If one were to discover some uranium, one would never miss the money it cost for a summer vacation, would one? I should think not. I'm going to South America myself. South America? (laughs) It's funny, I'm going to spend my vacation down there. You too? (laughs) What a coincidence. When are you leaving? The day school ends, June 23rd. You too? (laughs) What boat are you taking? The SS Brazil. You too? (laughs) What cabin will you be? Oh, no, I... (laughs) I... I just meant that if we're going to be in Brazil at the same time, it ought to make it very pleasant for both of us. They say the nights down there are very conducive to romance. Yes, I've heard something to that effect. In fact, on most June nights in Brazil, the stars seem to be so low in the sky that you can reach out and touch each other. Please, Miss Brooks, I... (laughs) I I don't like to change the subject, but... Not much you don't. (laughs) That's all right, Mr. Boynton. Brazil can wait. What is it you wanted to say? Well, I'd like to show you just how the Geiger counter reacts. Mr. Keller has a tiny sample of uranium in the chem lab. It's usually under lock and key, though, and... Oh, hi, Miss Brooks. Mr. Boynton. Oh, hello, Walter. I just dropped by to take another look at the Geiger counter. Uh, Did you tell Mr. Boynton about the swell black orchid I gave you, Miss Brooks? I was just about to. Walter gave me a fine black orchid this morning, Mr. Boynton. A black orchid? Say, they're mighty rare. Must have been cultivated for about seven years. Most likely in a hothouse. This one is hotter than that. (laughs) Walter, I don't usually give away presents, but I think you ought to know that in trying to get on Mr. Conklin's good side, I gave him the black orchid. You gave Mr. Conklin the... the... I better get a glass of milk. I don't feel so good. (laughs) Just a minute, young man. Why did you steal that flower from Mr. Conklin's garden? It wasn't really stealing. I was only getting even. Every time Mr. Conklin passes our house, he strolls through the gate and gloms a rose for himself. Well, rose gloming isn't orchid gloming. Besides, why did you have to make me the fence? The fence? Receiver of stolen good. (laughs) I've been reading a lot of Chaucer lately. (laughs) I'm sorry about the whole thing, Miss Brooks, but tell me. What did Mr. Conklin say when he saw his own orchid? Luckily for both of us, he hasn't opened the box yet. Well, then maybe if someone could get into his office... You, too? (laughs) That's just what I was thinking. You, too? (laughs) I just saw Harriet in the hall. Of course, she doesn't know about what I did, but she told me your dad went shopping. Then maybe we can remove the plant before he comes back. Exactly. And I've got a scheme that'll make it impossible for old Marblehead... Uh, Mr. Conklin, <laughs> to incriminate any of us. Are you with me? What's the layout, Louie? <laughs> well, I snip the orchid off at the bottom. It's still got a long stem, see? Now, as soon as it gets dark, we can sneak back into his garden, 
stick the stem in the ground, and when he sees it tomorrow, he'll think something was wrong with his eyes this morning. And then when he snips it off, he won't know it has no roots. Walter, you're a genius. But Mr. Conklin's bound to find out it has no roots when another orchid fails to grow. Maybe so, but in seven years, we can cook up a dilly of an alibi. (laughs) I'll keep a watch here at the door, Miss Brooks. All right, Mr. Boynton. Now hurry, Walter. We've got to get that box off Mr. Conklin's desk before he gets back. Okay, Miss Brooks. There, I've got it. He's coming down the hall. We better get out of here. It's too late. He'll see us quick. Get rid of the box. What box? The one you're holding, Walter. Oh, here you hold, Mr. Boynton. All right. Yeah, I don't want this. Here, here, Miss Brooks, here's a nice orchid for you. For me? How sweet of you, Miss. What am I saying? (laughs) Here, you take this, Walter. I'm allergic. Keep it. (laughs) Quick, quick, Miss Brooks. Toss it out the window. The window? Where is it? Oh, right here. Open, thank goodness. There you go. Hello, what's everybody doing in my... Miss Brooks, may I inquire what it was you just threw out of my window? Who, me? (laughs) That is your name, isn't it, Brooks? Or do you shot put under a nom de plume? (laughs) Well, I do remember tossing something out, but it, it was just a little bug. A bug? Yes, sir, that's just what it was, Mr. Conklin, a bug. We all saw it, didn't we, Mr. Boynton? Oh, yes, yes, it was a bug, Mr. Conklin. In my office? What sort of a bug was it? A beetle. A bull weevil. A louse. The three of them were building a nest. A nest? Well, a hutch or whatever it is they live in. The bull weevil live in cotton balls. You must get awfully tired of watching football games, don't you? What's going on here? <laughs> what are you three doing in my office? Well, sir, we just came in to wish your wife a happy birthday. You came in to wish my wife a happy birthday? Yes, sir. Happy birthday to her. Happy birthday oh, to quiet. her. Oh, quiet! Mr. Conklin, I might as well tell the truth. I wanted to give Mrs. Conklin her present myself. That's why we entered your office, but then when I heard you coming, I became nervous and tossed it out the window. Oh, well, that's easily remedied. We'll just rake out and pick it up. Now, but if there's nothing in it but underwear, Please, I... Please, not in front of Mr. Boynton. <laughs> you see, that was a little fib, too, Mr. Conklin. It, it isn't underwear. It's something for the house. You see, I wanted you to be surprised, too. That's right. That's what Miss Brooks told us. Yes, sir. She wants you to be surprised, too. Oh, oh, well, that's different. Something for the house, eh? Mrs. Conklin's been talking about new curtains for the dinette. Could this be curtain? It could be for us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Please, Mr. Conklin, if you'll just hand it over, I'll be eternally in your debt. You are now. (laughs) But if it pleases you to surprise us, then take it. But whatever you do, don't come over too early. I'm not going to give Mrs. Conklin my gift until after dinner. Oh, that's perfect. You'll be good and busy inside. That is, goodbye now. The cafeteria's about to close, Daddy. Aren't you going to have lunch? I had to bite downtown, Harriet, when I bought your mother her birthday present. Oh, what a 
Where'd you get her, Daddy? A radium-dial table model clock so she can see what time of night it is without waking me. I took it home before I returned to school. Fifteen dollars I paid for that clock. You'd better like it. I hope you hid it someplace where she won't find it in advance. You know how inquisitive Mother is about her presence. I'm well aware of your mother's little idiosyncrasy, Harriet. I hid it all right. I buried it in the little sunken toolbox out in our garden. This is one present nobody could find without a Geiger counter. Get off that driveway, Walter. Here's the gate to the backyard. Now, show us about where you got the orchid, Walter, and I'll dig a little hole for it and put it back. All right, you are, Mr. Boynton. It's over this way. Bring the box. What's that box you're carrying, Walter? This? Oh, this is the Geiger counter. I figured if we get away with this flower deal, we can get away with borrowing the counter for one evening. Oh, great. Now I'm the co-owner of a hot Geiger counter. <laughs> I wonder how Tehachapi is in the summertime. <laughs> oh, don't worry, Miss Brooks. We'll be through with this job in a jiffy, and then we can do a little prospecting. Oh, uh, stop right here, Mr. Boynton. I think this is pretty close to where I got the flower. All right, Walter. Please, Mr. Boynton, there's nothing to get so excited about. Well, that wasn't me. No? It's a Geiger counter. This is where I must have stepped. Miss Brooks, we're rich. South America, take me away. <laughs> Mr. Boynton, dig some more. I'll put the counter over here now so we Anybody? Wait a minute. I've uncovered some sort of a toolbox. What's this package in it? Listen. It's ticking. <laughs> ticking. It must be a time bomb. A, a time bomb? But who would want to blow up Mr. Conklin? Who wouldn't? <laughs> I mean, if there's uranium around here, this bomb could have been planted by someone who didn't want any of us to get it. That's right. Or it could have been placed by some crackpot who wants to see our civilization survive. <laughs> Listen, it's ticking louder. Quick, give it to me. Here's a full watering can. This should stop it. There, it stopped. You've done it, Miss Brooks. Oh, you certainly have, Miss Brooks. I don't know what it is she's done, but I'll bet I'm against it. <laughs> Mr. Conklin, oh, this is one time you won't be mad at us. Miss Brooks just stopped the ticking. Well, she certainly did, sir. She threw the whole box right into the watering can. You see, it isn't making a sound. Indeed, it isn't. <laughs> but then, after they're submerged in water for a while, very few $15 table model clocks are capable of making any sound! <laughs> Table clock? <laughs> yes, Miss Brooke. Contained in this soggy, gift-wrapped box is my wife's birthday present. Well, is there any message you'd like to convey? All together, gang. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mrs. Conway. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, when we showed Mr. Conklin that his black orchid was still intact, and I promised to reimburse him for the ruined clock, 
He calmed down a bit, and his complexion returned to its normal color, purple. (laughs) After he had dismissed us, I slunk back to my room and fell into a nice, peaceful stupor, slumber. (laughs) However, I awoke in the morning with a very disquieting thought. The fact remained that somewhere, somehow, Walter Denton had stepped in uranium. Mr. Keller, the chemistry teacher, had verified that. So when Walter arrived to pick me up, I hastened to reaffirm our partnership. We are still partners, aren't we, Walter? Oh, you bet, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin didn't see the Geiger counter at all. Good. Now, today, let's get a hold of a sample of uranium so we'll know what we're looking for. hmm? Now, first, you'll have to give me $5, Miss Brooks. $5? We're partners, aren't we? You put in five and I'll put in five. Mr. Keller just called to tell me that's what a sample costs. Why should we have to buy it? Couldn't we borrow it? Look, Miss Brooks, remember I told you how I got up on the table in school to fix the light bulb? Yes, but what has that got to do with the uranium sample in the chem lab? That's the uranium I stepped in. What? Sure. That's why we got to put in $5 each to buy the school a new sample. Now I've got to go to South America, if only to send you a tsetse fly. Next week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Luster Cream Bamboo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis, Lester White, and Joe Quillen, with the music of Wilbur Hatch under the direction of Maurice Carlton. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, and Gloria McMillan. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Richard Diamond followed by another visit from our Ms. Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.